Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Seven words that'll scare any politician. Roy Green is holding on line one. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network continues. Please stop sending me emails to say your conservative party. It's not my conservative party. It's a conservative party, and I'm a conservative, but it's not my conservative party. And if they don't do what I think they should be doing, they'll hear from me too. I know you don't believe that. Ask Stephen Harper. I watched Mr. Harper being interviewed on CPAC uh, yesterday, or it was maybe a replay. And I thought, oh, look, an adult. An adult. Nice hair, Mr. Harper. So I wish somebody had said this about me. Uh, let me just see what I've got here. What I have is a disobedient phone. Hang on a minute. Let me do this. Uh, I wish somebody had said this about me. Here it is. Henry Kissinger said this. Maxime... Maxine Cheshire, Washington Post reporter, makes you want to commit murder. Sally Quinn makes you want to commit suicide. Somebody said that about me. Sally Quinn joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. She may be the ultimate Washington insider. She's certainly one of the most famous and powerful women in the United States. Washington Post journalist, columnist, network news anchor, married to Washington Post executive editor Ben Bradley, and uh, she is the author of uh, her memoir, Finding Magic, a Spiritual Memoir, and it's published by HarperCollins. Ms. Quinn, what did you do to him? <laughs> what? <laughs> what did you do to Kissinger? By the way, I may end up saying that about you at the end of this interview. <laughs> yeah, actually, people have said that I, You know, you could get me in trouble. I might want to commit suicide as soon as we finish. <laughs> If you get me to say things I don't want to say. Yeah, I can do that, too, you know. <laughs> I know. Well, you're, yeah, you have a reputation for being good at that. I do have a reputation for a whole bunch of things. <laughs> um, so, look, Ms. Quinn, I want to talk to you about your book, but I also want to talk to you about well, what's going on. Well, could you please call me Sally? Okay, Sally. Uh, I, I want to talk to you about your book, but I also want to talk to you about what's going on in Washington, because we're fascinated. Yeah. We're, we're watching from uh, north of your border, of course, and we had, during the election campaign, when I went in the air and I talked about Donald Trump, 90 to 95 percent of my callers were in favor of, of Donald Trump. I suspect the number might be slightly less now, but not much. Um, so, so we watch with absolute fascination what's going on. And uh, this past week, particularly, has been very strange with the President of the United States, apparently in conflict with the Secretary of State, uh, exchanging angry tweets with a senior senator from his own party. It's, it's a weird situation. Is there any parallel, even as the most oblique and obtuse, is there any parallel between what was going on in the Nixon administration and the Trump administration? Well, you know, I actually, I was, I was just on the phone earlier with uh, 
an old-time Washington Post reporter who's now 85, and we were talking about how we had never seen anything like this before. And um, um, and I had dinner last week with Bob Woodward, you know, of Watergate fame. Sure. Uh, you know, my husband. Um, and, and then Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein were involved in the Watergate story. And, and, we were, and we were also talking about this is different from anything we've ever seen. I mean, Bob warned me to be careful about saying that this is worse than Watergate um, because, you know, we don't know what Mueller is going to come up with. And, you know, it, if, if there is criminal collusion then it would be worse than Watergate because it would be treason. But we don't know that, and we have to sort of step back and, and let Mueller do his job. But I think that, um, the, 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 well, of course, everybody is sort of fascinated by the tweet storms. But I've never, ever, I mean, Nixon was, um, and Nixon obviously was a serious, flawed person. He was a tragic figure, but he was brilliant. I mean, he had been a senator. He'd been vice president. He was brilliant on foreign policy. I mean, he was, you know, he was good on the economy. He, he was very smart and, um, and experienced. And I think that we've got a problem here with a president who has no experience and, and who is not listening to the the, the the people the experts around him even the ones that he put around him and so what he's done i mean he's sort of systematically made enemies out of every single person in washington well you know this is not exactly um well washington is sort of a hotbed of liberalism it's uh, you know four percent of the people in washington voted for trump trump but i mean he's now turned Every Republican, almost, on the Hill against him. And when Bob Porker, Corker spoke about him, he said, "I'm not the only one." And I've, you know, I've heard this from other Republican friends who say that that they all believe what Corker said. They just are afraid to say so. Um, he's he's humiliated his Secretary of State Tillerson. Um, he's gone against what General Mattis, who everyone everyone agrees is a fantastic guy and really smart and solid and and responsible i mean tillerson and mattis he goes have gone against the, the advice of his uh, national security advisor and uh, mcmaster and his chief of staff kelly um you know he's obviously <laughs> completely alienated the media you know by calling all of us you know fake news and enemies of the people and and you know the failing New York Times and the, and the crooked media and you know my, my father was in the military and I grew up as an army brat and you know our motto in the family was duty honor country and so it's very hard for me to have a president who basically calls me an enemy of the people. I mean it, 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 it's you know I think most journalists I know are really you know <laughs> uh, very conscientious citizens and and decent Americans. And, you know, the diplomatic corps is in a state of dis disarray because they're so terrified because they don't know what, I mean, I sat next to an ambassador the other night and he said, you know, I don't know what to say. My, my home office keeps saying, what's going on? What's going on? What does he think? What does he mean? And he said, I have no idea because he changes his mind every day. And, and so the, the foreign community is just 
is completely baffled, and everyone is terrified because they don't know what he's going to decide from one minute to Yeah, I'm going to catch Hades from, uh, from Trump supporters. But the last few weeks particularly, as I've been watching what's been going on in Washington, I, yeah. feel like I've been, I feel like I've been participating in a political version of Mad Magazine. Well, of course it's Mad Magazine. I mean, it's absolutely insane what's been going on. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, everyone, I mean, uh, Republicans are terrified because, you know, the, the way he's gone after Kim Jong-un and, you know, is he re- are we really going to get into a nuclear war? Um, I think that, you know, the, the, what he did with the Iran, uh, decertifying the Iran deal was, is terrified so many people because they're afraid that if, if you, if you say to the Iranians you're not living up to your agreement, they'll say, okay, fine, then let's break it and we'll just build a nuclear weapon and that's just going to, I mean, even the Israelis are saying that would be a catastrophe for them because right now they don't have to worry about Iran from a nuclear standpoint. And then, of course, the North Koreans will say, well, you know, why try to even negotiate because they don't keep their word and and then it hurts us from a foreign policy standpoint because people don't, people, our allies feel that we're not keeping our word. And then, you you know, that the whole health care with the Obamacare and the insurance, which he's done this week, is uh, there's, there's a chart on, on uh, the Internet today that talks about, shows how many the people who are going to be hurt the most from this by losing their health care are the Trump voters. And, and that's just a tragedy. So, I, I mean, it's just, it just sort of goes on and on. And you... Uh, you know, and and I think the twittering leaves everybody feeling kind of um, dis disjointed. I mean, people feel, uh, you know, it's almost like the ground is not stable under you. Everybody's walking around and feeling as though they they're not walking on on solid earth. Um, you know, and that it's sort of it, I I can't even describe it, but. It's it, people, are, and then I'm talking about everybody in the military. Um, I know a lot of military people, obviously, because of, but the military, the, the 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 Republicans on the Hill, the Democrats, the members of White House. I mean, nobody has ever seen so much leaking ever uh, as there is. In it is now. it is even everybody from a, leaks about everything, and no. I mean, even the people closest to Trump. I mean, I'm a journalist, and I know who the sources are. You know, I mean, it's just shocking that the people who are so close to him will say such negative things about him to, to journalists. So clearly, we have to take a break here and have to talk about your book, but clearly this cannot continue then. No, it can't, but I don't, you know, I mean, nobody quite knows what to do about it. Well, hasn't, hasn't the Democratic Party proven itself to be somewhat or significantly dysfunctional? Because I don't see any really concentrated and well-thought-out response to Mr. Trump, and I see a lot of Democrats trying to carve out territory for themselves in what they seem to consider to be a climate of opportunity. Uh, You're absolutely right. I mean, the Democrats are a mess, too. I mean, there's no leadership in the Democratic Party at all. And, you know, basically their role now is just sort of anything that's anti-Trump. You know, know, they're, they're just sort of there. They're on the defensive all the time. And so, I don't see any Democrats that are sort of coming forward and being being on the offensive and saying, here's what we need to do, because I think everybody is just, people are punch drunk, you know. I mean, it's just, they're trying to sort of stay on, on an even keel and, and try to keep the Congress going. But, you know, when you've got the Republicans 
also a mess. And there, and, and you know, Trump is attacking McConnell and Corker and all of the leaders of his own party. Then you know, I mean, nobody quite knows what to do. Yeah, I, I think mean, you should take right. that. I, yeah, I think you should take the IQ test. I don't think that's going to happen. It'll be fun. <laughs> Sally, hold on, please. I want to come back uh, to Sally Quinn. And we'll talk about her book, A Spiritual Memoir, uh, Finding Magic, A Spiritual Memoir, published by HarperCollins. She knows Washington like few others. And uh, that quote again by Henry Kissinger was absolutely phenomenal. Maxine Cheshire makes you want to commit murder. Sally Quinn makes you want to commit suicide. We'll come back with Sally Quinn right after this. You mess with the you bull, mess with the bull. You get the horns. You get the horns. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Email Roy at RoyGreenShow.com, Twitter at the Roy Green Show. Follow me there and listen back to any segment that we air on uh, the podcasts, Roy Green Show page on the website of the radio station, the chorus radio station you're listening to now. Sally Quinn is my guest. Her book is a Finding Magic, a Spiritual Memoir, published by HarperCollins. Um, I could talk politics with you all day, Sally, but we have to talk about your book, and it's fascinating. How, how do you decide what to include in your in your when you write a memoir? You're telling everybody about your life, the things that that happened to you. You share your life in your words with people whose job it then it is to decide whether you did a good job of it. Well, first of all, this is a, a spiritual memoir, right. and it's it start. I, I was asked to write this um, after I started. Um, a website for the Washington Post a long years ago, uh, eleven years ago. It was, it was a, a, a religion website called On Faith, right. and I was an atheist at the time I started it, and I had been an atheist all of my life, um, starting when I was four years old. When my father, who was in the military, came back from World War II, he had liberated Dachau and taken pictures of the concentration camp and all of the bodies, and he made scrapbooks and. Uh, I found the scrapbooks, and, of course, we had no TV at that time, and I said to him, Daddy, what was this? I mean, he explained it to me, and I said, did, did God know about this? And he said, yes. And I said, well, how could he have let this happen? And my father said, well, God works in mysterious ways. We don't have the answers to everything. And I was devastated because I was very religious at that point, and I was saying my prayers to God every night, asking him to protect my family, and all I could think about were those little Jewish children who were in the concentration camps and their parents separated from their parents and they were all praying to the same God and look what happened to them. And so it became clear to me that there was no God and I stopped believing in God and I I um you know I I, I never told anybody because I was you know embarrassed to tell people and it was horrible for me to not believe in God and um so anyway I I was for a long time an atheist and and just an angry atheist actually until i had lunch with this friend of mine john meacham who is a a christian and a religion scholar and he was editor of newsweek and he and i started the website together eventually and he said you're not an atheist because it's a negative word and you're not a negative person and you should need you need to go out and study religion and come back and then tell me if you're still an atheist 
And but I it, it, I started reading about religion. And I got really excited about it and interested in it. And I ended up starting this website. And then I took a trip around the world to study the great faiths. And um and and so I began to sort of look at religion and faith differently because there were so many different faiths. And when we started the website, I interviewed thousands of people uh, about their faith and and. Nobody ever had the same idea of what God was. I always ask people, you know, what is God to you? And no one had the same answer. And I just got more and more involved in it. And then my husband, Ben Bradley, got dementia. Um, my son, Quinn, uh, had been born with a hole in his heart and had heart surgery and, and was near death on and off for the first 16 years of his life. And and I took care of him. I had to quit my job at the Post. And then in the last two years of Ben's life, when he was really declining, I took I stopped working and took care of him and I had written I had signed a contract to write a book about how an atheist could start a religion website. Um and so when I I I couldn't write but as soon as Ben died I decided I had to write and so I started writing about his decline and his death. And then uh, you ask how you make decisions. I went back through because knowing this was a spiritual memoir, I went back through my life and chose and the things that I remembered that had some sort of epiphany or some moment of spirituality or some recognition or some illumination that took me along the way to the path that I finally, where I finally came to, a, you know, the end of this path, which is to realize that I was a deeply spiritual person, that I was not an atheist, and I had actually never been an atheist, but I had not recognized the spirituality in my life. I had just not seen it for what it was. And taking care of Ben was was probably the most spiritual thing I ever did in my life. It was also the hardest thing. But it gave my life meaning. And, and so it, it became clear to me that we're all looking for meaning in our lives. And for me, what gave my life meaning was loving the people in my life, my my you know, son taking care of Quinn, who's now 35 and thriving, and both of my parents died in my arms, and my mother was a stroke victim for 12 years. I took care of her. Um, and so I, I just sort of, I, I led up to this moment of believing that, you know, we all, and I don't, the word agnostic doesn't work for me, because it just basically says you don't know. And I think we're all agnostics, really. Yeah. I mean, I think the Pope is an agnostic. He doesn't know. He believes. And I, I'm faith. sorry. I have to jump in because we literally have 10 seconds left. The yeah. clock always wins in the end. But Well, I, what, what I'd like to say is that I finally, my spirituality was finding magic. And I believe that everyone has magic in their lives. And they just need to look for it. And they look for, they need to look not to, for happiness okay. to find meaning, but they need to look for meaning in their lives to find happiness. Sally, and for me, that was magic. Sally, thank you so much for the time. I hope we can speak again. Okay, I'd love to. Thank Thanks. you. Bye-bye. And I don't want to commit suicide. No, don't. <laughs>